Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host, and I'm very happy to be with you today again. Today I have a full house here. Everyone is back on the panel, and thank you so much for uh, joining us. I will probably welcome um, Brenton at this stage because we miss you, Brenton, uh, last time, and welcome back. Nice to be back, Nick. But also I'll go to Helen because she uh, spent a bit of time uh, away from us. Uh, a nice holiday there and uh, I hope you enjoy it. But welcome back to the Bible study. Thank you, Nick. I just want to say hi to all our Kangaroo Island listeners this morning because that's where I've been. Beautiful island. And Ken, thank you for joining us too. Always great to be here, Nick. Lija also welcome to Bible study. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here studying God's Word. Len is our facilitator for today and uh, again I, I cannot just thank enough for all of you people who are um, putting uh, lots of work into this and preparation and just spare some of your uh, very busy schedules to come uh, with us uh, along here. And to our listeners I would like to just uh, grab a Bible if you are uh, at home or uh, otherwise just uh, if you're driving just drive safely and uh, enjoy this Bible study with us. Len, I'm handing the microphone right to you now. Hello listeners, this week's study is based on the book of Nehemiah chapter 5 and we're calling the study Violating the Spirit of the Law. Now in the Bible 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable now, although our study is based on chapter 5 of Nehemiah, there are some very important issues that need to be highlighted, and we will uh, revise these issues right at the end of the study time today. The issues are centred around power, wealth, selfishness, and exploitation of the disadvantaged. Stay listening, won't you? We're going to start off with prayer, and Brenton... Would you please pray for us and the listeners? Father in heaven, we thank you that we can talk to you in prayer and that we can be reminded that the God who created us has made us all equal. We are not rich and poor. Society recognises that. We as your children, Lord, recognise that we are all equal. And when we see those in need around us, Lord, you have called upon us to help them. Help the message that we share today to be a message that will resonate not only with the panel but also with those who are listening that we will recognise that in this world everyone around us is our neighbour everyone around us is our brother and sister and may we have a generous heart and an open wallet as and when required we ask in Jesus name Amen Thank Amen. you Brenton right, Ken I'm going to uh, ask you to uh, begin this discussion and I want to ask you what is the golden rule? Well the golden rule as we read in the Bible basically is saying that if you do unto other people as you would like them to do to you and if we look at uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 it does say here therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you do you even so to them for this is the law and the prophets. So very simply stated, this just means as you should do good to others as you would like others to do good to you or to help others as you would like them to help you. Thank you for that, Ken. And really what you have just said is the thrust of this whole study today. 
Now, Helen, I hope you've got your Bible open to Nehemiah chapter 5. Would you like to read the first five verses, and then we'll discuss what's happening. Happy to do so. Nehemiah 5, 1-5. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, About this time some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, We have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, We have mortgaged our fields and vineyards and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, We have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters. We are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. So where is this taking place? This is actually in Jerusalem when they went to restore the place. Mm. So what's the problem? Well... The problem is that there are some Jews that that either came with them, wealthy Jews, or they were already there with established businesses, and they were taking advantage of the people. You know, there was heavy taxes, and um, they had to give them a lot of stuff, but there was also a drought in the land, and there was a land tax with it. And so, unfortunately, the poor were the worst people affected. Yes. You know, and they were affected to the point they had no food, they had no money, and they had to actually even sell their own children or their bodies into slavery so that they could just live and survive. It was a shocking situation. It really was. Yes. Now, having to go through all this and even to the point of having to sell their children to be slaves just in order to survive is a pretty dire situation. This couldn't happen in Australia, could it, Brent? Mm. Unfortunately, it does, uh, Len. As recently as yesterday, some of you may have noticed that... um, on the media there was a comment about um, Woolworths, I think it was, underpaying uh, staff. Now that's only one of many multinationals that are doing this, but what I found particularly interesting in listening to the report on the radio yesterday was this, that uh, in some cases they weren't paying them money, they were giving them food. And so somehow or another they had to live and yet, rather than receiving wages for their labour, they were actually be receiving food, which unfortunately doesn't pay a power bill, an electricity bill, or land tax, or any other tax for that matter. I could go on, Len, banks foreclosing on uh, farmers who are affected by drought, but it goes much deeper and it's much more sinister. Think of young people. There are many young people these days, particularly young women, who are involved in prostitution. Now, prostitution, when we think of prostitution, we immediately think of, oh, they must be drug addicts, and therefore they need money to supply their bill. Not necessarily so. Some of them are struggling to survive financially. There are people who are married. There are women who are married who are involved in the prostitution business. Now, it's really interesting because God said in the Bible, and I could read it to you, but we haven't got time, that money earned by prostitution was not to be brought to the temple under any circumstances. They were not to bring that money and use it to pay tithes and offerings from. But this is the type of society we live in, land where exploitation is more hidden than it is in Nehemiah 5, verse 1 to 5, but nevertheless it's present. It's under the surface and it's at all levels of society. Right, and I just want to share with you some statistics about modern slavery. There are about 45 million people in the world 
according to the 2016 Global Slavery Index, 45 million people in the world who are considered slaves, half of them, half of them are people in forced labour. In other words, just like what happened back here in the time of Nehemiah, these people, in order to survive, have sold their properties and everything they had to sell in order to get food or to pay for expensive weddings or whatever it is and are therefore bonded to a master just uh, to survive. Now, did you want to say something yeah, here? Yeah, uh, well, you just shocked me then. 45 million is an awful lot of people. It is. Isn't it? It's double the population yeah. of Australia almost. Yes. That just blew yes. my mind then. I nearly <coughs> forgot what I wanted to say before. <laughs> but I was just thinking when Brenton was talking, you know, about prostitutes or people in these situations. I remember once um, an elder of our church was driving uh, at night and this woman was hitching a ride and so he stopped and um, she hopped in the car and it wasn't very far down the road he realised that she was actually a prostitute and um, he said well you know I'm a happily married man or what have you anyway he started talking to her and asked her why was she in this business and it was such a tragic tale and that taught me a valuable lesson we're, we're not in a position to judge anybody but for the grace of God go you and I yes. you know and 45 million wow that just breaks my heart mm. mm. alright now Lydia would you like to read the following two verses? That's Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 6 through to 8. When I heard this outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. <laughs> so why was Nehemiah so angry? Because the rich exploiting the poor, effectively. Yeah. yeah. Can I just mention that the Hebrew word for anger, and I don't know if I say it right, is kara. Is that right, Brenton? Yeah, which means to burn with anger. It wasn't just a little bit. Mm. You know, he literally burned with anger, you know, at the fact that they, these poor were being exploited. Mm. You know? He was hopping mad. Very much so. Ken, mm. what instruction had the Lord given the Israelite people back before Nehemiah's time regarding usury. It's found in Exodus 22. Could you read that, Ken? Yeah, uh, we're reading from the King James Version here. And starting at verse 25, 26. If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as a usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury which is interest, of course. Yes, yes. If thou at all take thy neighbour a remnant to pledge, thou shalt deliver it unto him by that the sun goeth down. So here the, here the Lord had instructed that when an Israelite lends something to somebody else, it is to be interest-free. But in the time of Nehemiah, and this is what Nehemiah was so angry about, that people were being totally exploited, charging usury. 
It was actually, uh, I think we can read it, 1% per month. 12%. So 12% over a year. Len, if you looked at it purely from the point of view of interest that was charged in that day, and it's worth having a look, in the Persian Empire at that day, interest was charged between 12% per annum and 24% per annum. So this was at the bottom level of that. It's not so much the fact that they were paying interest, it's the principle behind it where God had told them that they were not to charge interest to their fellow Yes, yes, it didn't actually apply to lending money to a foreigner, but that wouldn't have happened too often. Um, It was only within the Israelite society. Yeah, it's interesting that that wasn't a grievance that the people brought, wasn't it? They, that um, wasn't one of the grievances no, that they brought up, no. I guess because, you know, they just accepted the fact that they were paying it. Yes. You know. Ledger, what did you want to say here? The fact that Nehemiah deals with the issue so decisively is very admirable. He doesn't leave a grievance alone just because it doesn't technically break the law or is socially acceptable even nice compared to the practices of the land. It was the spirit of the law that was transgressed in this situation. Especially during a time of economic hardship, it was the duty of the people to help each other. God is on the side of the oppressed and needy. He had to commission prophets to speak against the the evils and violence committed against the poor. Yes. Unfortunately, the poor often get badly treated. Helen, can you think of anything in our current times where the poor are not treated very well? Well, what comes to my mind is sometimes we import things from other countries, countries where people are paid an absolute pittance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could even be 20, as low as 20 cents, right. you know, for what they're doing from what I've read. And I think we call it sweatshops. Is that what the name is? Yes. Yeah. And sometimes we think, right, well, I'm not going to buy that. I'm going to do this. But we can easily get into the mode of, oh, well, you know, that's cheaper. I'll buy it without realizing that somebody is paying the price the other end. Yes. And that's exploitation. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, Mm. I've seen it firsthand Mm -hmm. in China. Yeah. Where people are working in horrible working conditions for a very small amount. However, there's another way of looking at it. If you buy that product, that person's got employment. Yes. So it's a bit of a bit of a hard one to deal with. What do you want to say, Ken? Yeah, I just wanted to add to that. I think something that's really important, uh, apart from buying these products and these people working in sweatshops and bad conditions, uh, many, many of them are working in conditions that are so bad that it affects their health and they end up with cancer or worse mm-hmm. and they end up dying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. true. Now, so, excuse me, man. In, in light of what you just said, at least it gives them something. What's the answer? There is a problem, but what is the answer? Helen, I was just thinking uh, while we have this uh, discussion about the situation in Jerusalem. First of all, we want to look a little bit in uh, a bit more broadly to see why this is brought up in uh, chapter five. Uh, in the previous chapter, we learned that uh, the construction was going on there, the rebuilding of uh, Jerusalem was going on, and uh, lots of good things happening, and uh, Nehemiah just uh, tells us that uh, they were so passionate about that, that they even didn't take their clothes off, They mm-hmm. even they had to wear uh, armor and stuff like that to protect themselves, and so on. They, they was going very well. Now, why this issue of um, difference in between 
people there was brought up, particularly uh, misused their uh, power, some, mm-hmm. of, some of the people who are more richer than others, because here it's about to rebuild the temple, a place of worship also, and uh, Jerusalem as a, a place of where, where people can, can have the law and the, the rulership restored. And I believe this falls into uh, the Christendom today because we know that a lot of people are just uh, using money and we know about uh, prosperity gospel. People are telling about that uh, if you give a lot of money, then God will bless you and so on. These people here, they were happy to work together, to put everything together to be able to achieve uh, what God was telling them to do. And that's our problem in, in the society today, because we still work very individualistic-minded. Uh, Brenton, a part of what Lydia read said this, now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. What on earth was he talking about here? I think he was referring to the fact that uh, some of them had been in slavery and had been brought back. There is a sense, Len, in this book of Nehemiah that he, in fact, actually purchased um, some of his brethren Jews with his own money and uh, brought brought them back again. But it goes deeper than this. They were slaves in the past. Now, A very interesting study I did this morning on the Ten Commandments, Len, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, not Exodus chapter 20. In Deuteronomy 5, the reason given for keeping the Sabbath is that you were once slaves in Egypt, and I freed you with a mighty hand and brought you out of Egypt. We generally tend to think of the Sabbath in terms of um, we keep the Sabbath because God is the creator, and he created us and redeemed us and all the rest of it. And that is true. But another principle found in um, the re, um, shall we, the, we say the restating of the Ten Commandments says that um, the reason I want you to keep the Sabbath is that you were slaves in Egypt and I brought you out of Egypt with a powerful and mighty hand. That, I find that particularly significant. If these people, the rich exploiting the poor, had remembered that, that they had all originally come out of slavery, I wonder whether they would have treated their fellow brethren in the same manner in which they did then. It's probably human nature that they wouldn't do that. Well, now, Nehemiah was the governor, Brenton. Mm. He knew what the problem was now. What did he do about it? He required an oath of them that they would return the usury that they had um, charged these poor people and they would also return... Uh, return to them their lands and things that they had taken from All right, we'll come on to that later on. What I wanted to uh, uh, establish here, that Nehemiah just didn't dilly-dally about it. He thought about it, gave a lot of thought, probably prayer, and then he decided to act in and to deal with the problem. Now, you can deal with problems in various ways. You can put things off and off and off and you don't make a decision and nothing happens. Or you can take the bull by the horns, as it were, mm-hmm. and do something about it. Well, Nehemiah was a man of action. 
he did something about it and we'll read about what he did. Just a quick comment on that that I think is very vital for 2019. We hear a lot about social injustice in our society these days. In fact, our media are really into social injustice. But what is actually being done about it? Maybe if today's society followed the principles that he did, namely that you could almost say that he named and shamed the rich originally, but he did more than that because that didn't produce any positive result. He required them to take an oath that they would return all of these things. Yeah. I think there are some principles here that need to be applied to what we call social justice in 2019. Yeah, okay. This is, of course, a big question. Helen? I think there's another important lesson we can, we can learn from this segment in that Nehemiah did not react in anger to the injustice straight away. It wasn't, you know, an immediate reaction. You know, we're told that he actually pondered it, didn't he? Yes. And he mm -hmm. thought about it. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to learn that lesson from him. We need to, at times, if we're angry about something, just take a step back and take time to process the best course of action. It's not important how people act. It's more important how we react. Yes. And Nehemiah was yes. a man of God, and I believe we can learn so much from him. That's a good point. I like mm -hmm. that point. Ken, mm -hmm. would you read Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 9? Also I said... It is not good that ye do, ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? All right. Now, part of what Nehemiah said, hey, look at the people round about us who he described as enemies. If they get wind of this, we're just a laughing stock. So Nehemiah wasn't, prepa wasn't prepared to just duck under the table and dodge the issue. He spoke out about it. We live in time, a time, I should say, when there are other injustices in society. Should we speak out about that? And if so, what sort of things need speaking out about? I, th I think, Len, today, as we read these stories in the Old Testament, I personally believe that the world today is really not that much different from what it was back in the early days and the things that we need to speak out about they're just very very similar unfortunately I think everything comes back to greed and uh, unfortunately the very very rich people and the big major companies I think they're all on the same side and I personally don't believe too many of them care about the, the working class people or those that are struggling Anybody else? Len, could I comment um, just when you, when you said about what, what should we speak out about? There's one group in society that I believe do not receive perhaps um, the attention that they should and the not just the media coverage but also the action. I think children. Children today are really suffering on many levels. They're not only exploited... Uh, a lot of them live in dysfunctional homes with drug-addicted parents and all the rest of it. And I believe we have a responsibility to, to care for our children because our children are our future. And uh, there's a lot of uh, talk fests, if I can use that term, where they go round and round with very qualified people talking about these issues. But what is practically being done about them? So that's an issue that's fairly close to my heart. Okay, well, probably lots of issues. Have you got one too, Nick? Yeah, I just want to uh, just briefly mention that uh, God was very particular in giving uh, laws and regulations to his children. And just to bring up the concept of uh, the year of Jubilee, 
in uh, Israel. Uh, why God spoke about those things? Why God spoke about if it happens that you sell your children or yourselves as a slave and so on, on the year of Jubilee, it needs to be restored that uh, person. Why is that important? Because in today society, we haven't got anything in place like that. How can we bridge that big gap which we can see today? Mm. And from a Christian point of view, we need to go back to the Bible. We need to learn that the Bible is full of advice in this regard. Even the early church, the disciples, they find out that's much better to come together to support each other, which whatever they have together for the advancement of God's kingdom. How people will feel like to come to church together with the same person who's doing very well and very rich and the other person cannot uh, even buy maybe the food for the day. And how that can worship together and that's the thing here. How can they be together and worship together the God who's a God who cares about everyone. Sure. We started off the discussion today with the golden rule. And the golden rule is about treating people equally. equally. And the situation in our time, as it was in Nehemiah's time, the wealthy and powerful were exploiting the less powerful and the poor. Nehemiah, Lydia, gave a very nice example. Remember, he was the governor. Would you read Nehemiah 5.10? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let the exacting of usury stop. So he admitted himself that he himself has been lending the people money and uh, grain and by declaring this let us stop charging interest he actually affirmed the law that forbade this practice with fellow Hebrews and demonstrated that under his governorship he would like people to be to be gracious towards uh, one another and actually all the people responded very positively in this and they agree Okay. Yes, Helen. Can, can I just add, here's another example of Nehemiah showing us that what he and, and the people near him were doing, you know, they were very practical in the help. And in fact, if you read further in Nehemiah 5, um, you'll see exactly, you know, some of the things he did. And he, he paid for them out of his own pocket. Yeah, yes, and, and to me, that was, that was really interesting. There's a text in Proverbs 28:27 that says, Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. And, you know, we think, you know, we read later how he fed all these people and did all these things. But he didn't consider the cost because he was a, an amazing leader. And, and as I said before, he was a man of action and he was a man of God. And, and we can learn from this. Being the top man in that society, yes. his personal example, I believe, is important. Yes. Uh, he can't expect everybody else to be generous when he's not. And he yeah. was generous right from the start. Charity begins at home. home. It is interesting, isn't it, that, sorry, it is interesting that when sometimes when people get a position of power, they do go into exploitation. Yes. You know, yeah. and they, it goes to their head. But here is a perfect example of this man who was in leadership, and yet he gave us that, well, he showed us the humbleness that Christ showed on this earth, really. Mm -hmm. Lynn, just a footnote on this one. That is, that um, if you consider his position when he arrived, he obviously was a man not only of influence but also of wealth. Yeah. 
he probably left after 12 years of being governor of Judah actually probably poorer financially than when he came. Mm. Now, I would think there would be very few leaders that you would be able to say that of. So his practical example of giving till it hurts, which is a term we know, he actually applied in principle to not only his rulership of Judah, but also the way that he treated his fellow brothers and sisters. And I just want to mention again that here we find out something very interesting. These people who are uh, suffering, they were um, previously, you know, because of the famine, which was mentioned here and other things, they sold even their properties, their lands. Mm. And, you know, in those days, you know, the land was the thing which provided for you and your family. It was everything. Now, I know that because even coming from a communist country, during the communist time, all the land of my country was taken from the people under the communist regime and they administrated the thing. Now, you have to work for in your land and get something there just enough to eat. After the communist, communist collapse, the land was given back to the people. And that's exactly what uh, Nehemiah is doing. He said, okay, this is not helping if we just give to them something of grain or some food or so, whatever. We need to give them the land back that they may start to do business again for themselves. And this is the situation in our time. You know, the middle class is disappearing because uh, the richer get richer and the poorer get poorer. And the richer just put their hands on everything which belongs to the people. And again, I will give an example. Uh, in my country, uh, lots of big companies from all around the world is coming and buying in my country all the resources of yeah. the country. You know, and probably have the same thing here in Australia. Oh, yeah. People are coming from overseas and buy here, which is Australians. And this, this probably is a thing which, from a Christian point of view, we should see how can we uh, bridge this gap if we come across difficulties and all those, uh, those uh, challenges in, uh, among you know, our brethren. So Nick has kind of um, said what I was going to ask you, Brenton. What order did Nehemiah give to these wealthy people who had taken stuff from the poor. Land in very simple language, he told them to give everything back. It yeah. wasn't just lands and property. It wasn't just vineyards and grain fields and things like that. I believe it was also included the term usury. In other words, they would have had to calculate the interest. Now, you stop and think about this. How long had this process been going on for? He was there for 12 years. Mm. If you stop and think about it, do, did this happen in his first year that he was there? We don't know for sure. It may have. But he's saying, you need to calculate how much interest you've taken off of these people. You need to not only restore their lands, their property, their vineyards and their grain fields, you need to restore the interest that you have charged them to date. This would have significantly had affected them significantly from a f- financial point of view. I'm talking about the rich and yes. the powerful. Yeah. Now, referred to the year of Jubilee before, mm. and the Lord instituted in Israelite society this thing about the year of Jubilee. Could you just briefly describe that, Brenton? Well, I'll read it quickly, Len, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession and each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you, in it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord. 
nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. It's it's overall summarising the fact that what was taken from you has now been restored. I believe it was really, Len, looking at it, it's if you were to apply a spiritual principle to the year of Jubilee, and let's forget about the financial and uh, the uh, property aspects of it, what was taken from us when sin came into this world will be restored when Christ returns again. Hmm. It was basically like wiping out the debt. Yes. Yeah. Just wiping out the debt. Christ did that on the cross for us. That's right. <laughs> so really, uh, this was a fantastic principle. And so what actually happened when uh, Nehemiah said, you need to give everything back? Ken, what happened? Well, uh, I find it actually quite amazing that the noble people and the rich people actually did give everything back to those people who they had shall we say, taken from or used up or charged extra, Mm -hmm. they actually give it all back to them, which I find totally amazing. First of all, they said they would give it all back, but Nehemiah, he was no fool. And he made something happen, which was basically a public declaration. Helen, would you like to share that with us? I'd love to. It's in Nehemiah 5, verse 12. They said, they replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. And then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. May I read verse 13? Yes. It says, I shook out the the folds of my robe and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. And the whole assembly responded, Amen, and they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Yeah, he actually asked them to take an oath or a vow. And it's very important to realize that if you make a vow to God, it is unbreakable. So we need to make sure that when we make a vow to God that we are intending to keep it. In fact, there's several verses in the Old Testament that talks about it. And even to the point, and the New Testament, I had somebody challenge me on this particular thing and they said, oh, that's all Old Testament stuff. It doesn't apply today. But there are two texts that come to my mind in the New Testament. One was in Matthew and the other one is in James. And it puts it very plainly here. It says in James 5.12, it says, but most of all, my brothers and sisters, Never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. That was how drastic it was. You know, you broke an oath, you were sinning. And it also, in those days, your yay and your nay should have been enough. If, if if the yes and no we say today, you know, years ago I remember that contracts were, were actually validated by shaking the hand. You know, and you were trustworthy and you knew they were going to follow through. Unfortunately, it's not quite the same anymore. But I believe this was um, reinforced to the leaders, the importance of what they were saying. They just said, we'll give everything back. And how easy it is to say that. And that wasn't, as you say, good enough for Nehemiah. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, let's make this oath. And can I just make a statement on oaths as well? Sometimes people use the name of the Lord in vain thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That is also taking an oath. That's a curse. It's a swear. And that's a sin. And we'll be condemned for it. We need to give God the the glory to his character that his name actually means. I think Mm -hmm. Nehemiah's action was really, really good 
Yes. He was a good man. Mm. He was. In the presence of the priests. In other words, this is a holy oath. Mm-hmm. He made them take the oath. They took the oath. And then he added to that a sort of a curse. Yes. If you don't keep your oath, may your lands become barren. May you become poor yourself. And so I think those people kept their oath. Yeah, I think the symbolic part of shaking out the folds, you know, indicating that everything else will go. You yeah. know, it's, it's just not worth breaking out. Okay, so Ledger, did they keep their oath? Yes, they did. They and did. actually, as they accepted the oath, um, in the Bible it says that in the last part of verse 13 said that, that at this the whole assembly said, said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Yeah. Wonderful. That was good. So what effect do you think this had on the whole society, the rich, the poor, the in-between, Brenton? I think it not only provided relief for the poor, Len, um, it it did provide a sense of cleansing for the rich. I think it probably went further than that. Um, Whilst this is primarily an internal matter, when you read the book of Nehemiah as a whole, you recognise that they're enemies, and Nehemiah calls them enemies, He says in a number of places, and including in chapter 5, he said something along the lines of, what are you doing selling your brothers and sisters, uh, fellow Jews, uh, in the face of your enemies? What this does, I think, is it shows those around about them, those who are opposed to them, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and all of these people, it shows them that these people are devoted to the Lord their God, that their society is a society based on God's principles as opposed to those around about them. Okay. Ken, to bring this to our time, when we realise that we've wronged somebody, exploited them or whatever it might be, what should we do? Well, I think, Len, it's fairly clear that the Bible makes it that we should really try to uh, make restitution to all these people or some of these people, uh, if we have actually in some way wronged them or done something wrong, uh, hopefully as Christians we should be very light on that area, but if for some reason that we end up that we've uh, somehow or other wronged people, we should certainly try and make it right with them. Mm. You know, sometimes a certain action might be legal. For example, if you enter into a contract, for example, where somebody promises to pay you a certain amount each month for whatever Mm -hmm. it is, and they fall on hard times and they can't pay it, it's legal then maybe to seize their property, just like happened back in the times of Nehemiah. But as Christians, how should we deal with the situation where somebody, because of circumstances, cannot do what they promised? Yes, Helen? Is there not a parable that Jesus told um, about a guy who owed a t- tremendous debt, and he pled f- pled to be you know released from it, and he was shown grace for for that huge huge debt, and and that's how we should do. We should you know have that grace. However, he went out from there, and and what did he do? He attacked someone else that owed him a pittance yeah. and put him in jail. I think there's a two contrasts there. Do we do what God wants us to do with compassion? And it doesn't always do good to just say to somebody, oh, no, forget it, because they need to learn to be responsible in what they do. But you can still get them to say, well, look, how about we readjust here, you know? Be compassionate to mm. people. 
Yes, God has been very compassionate with us. Yes, Ken. I think, Leon, one of the challenges here is that for, I would say, the majority of Christians, perhaps we're not quite in that area because I personally think of people on the land, farmers and things like that, who, through no fault of their own, usually run into very, very hard times and they end up, the land is not producing uh, whatever it is they're, they're wanting to grow or feed the animals and the banks come along and with what seems with real callous means just get them off the land and take the land. Now if you've been a farmer, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh generation, basically it's in your blood, it's in your system, it's all you know and I think to lose the land is like losing your right arm. Yeah, that's right. Ken, the reason uh, one of the outcomes of all that is the number of suicides we're seeing in society these days, particularly amongst farmers, particularly men. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a real problem. Yes. Now, as governor, Nehemiah was to be supported by the people. Mm-hmm. Now, it's all very well for the rich to support him, but the poor were also to support him. Helen, Nehemiah speaks about himself. It's a very beautiful thing. It's Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14. Mm-hmm. What did he say? Again from the New Living Translation, he said, For the entire twelve years that I was governor of Judah, from the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. That's a wonderful example. Yeah, I, I think it's an amazing example, really, because, you know, he had that right, as you said, that he he could have taken um, he could have taken whatever he wanted really mm. if it, it comes to that, but he didn't. And I find it interesting. Governor he was yes for those twelve years, but he never claimed that right. He financed his own living, mm. you know. And and that to me speaks absolute volumes, absolute volumes. You know, he didn't. Um, not only did he pay for his own expenses, he provided for his family as well as the whole. The whole group of people. Helen, can I comment that in if you look at a New Testament illustration of that, you look at the Apostle Paul. The Mm. Apostle Paul was a tent maker, and he frequently refers to the fact that when I came to you, I was not a burden to you. You didn't have to finance me. You didn't have to look after me. I worked with my own hands to provide for myself and my fellow workers who were with me. Wasn't a burden, was it? Mm. You know. And in this case, Nehemiah was very compassionate towards his people because in uh, the last part of verse eighteen, he says, uh, "Again, I never." Uh, demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people so he, he felt pity on the people mm-hmm. and I just want to give a modern day example of this and I believe I'm correct in, in saying this as I have read this uh, and that is uh, now before I, I say this a little bit I'm not saying this person is good, bad and different, I'm only giving the example and that is President Trump in America takes no wage at all for the job that he does for the presidency. Can can I just add one more thing um, that I'd like to bring out, and that is that Nehemiah kept the laws of God, but he also kept the spirit of the law. Mm. And I believe this is a classic example. It reminds me of when Jesus challenged the Pharisees, you know. He said, oh, you know, you do this, you tie that, you do everything else, but you have forgotten the greater things. You know, justice Justice and mercy. mercy. They go hand in hand. He didn't mean forget Mm. the law. 
But he said, don't forget the other side, the compassion and the justice. Now, Nehemiah wasn't the first governor of um, this newly formed state. What happened prior to Nehemiah coming up, Ken? Well, uh, prior to that, uh, people were taxed to support the governor, I guess, uh, very very similar to what we have today. But uh, again, taxes, as we know, they seem to get out of hand and... Uh, something that starts off so it seems reasonable then sometime up the track it gets out of hand and the people suffer. Can I suggest that uh, there's a number of issues here. Number one, the Persian Empire re- um, required of the, the Judean province 350 talents of silver per annum. Now that had to be submitted to the Persian treasury every year and I suspect that what had been going on then was not only did the people have to cough up, so to speak, but the under-secretaries and the under-servants of the governor were probably also skimming off uh, stuff as well because we know in the time of Christ, when Christ threw the uh, money changes out of the temple, everybody was getting a kickback on it. Mm. And I think it's very important to remember that they were struggling not only meeting the 350 talents of silver, but whatever else the governor and those underneath him were exploiting the people for and Nehemiah was demonstrating by example he said I've taken none of none of your money I, I've in fact actually lent to you and I have not required any interest and this is the principle that I expect you to live by and I think mm. there's a message for us today 2019 the practice and the mm. expectation of course was that the governor yeah. should be supported by the people yes now in the religious sense the Apostle Paul speaks about this ledger in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Would you like to read quickly verse 7 to 12? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this is written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seeds among you, Is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So the Apostle Paul, as Brenton said earlier, was just the same. He He didn't... It was his right to be supported by the people whom he served exactly. and the other apostles too. But he never took up that right. He cared for himself, which really says something very special about the man. Now, I regard Nehemiah as a wonderful example of a servant leader. Brenton, would you read that little bit in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 16 to 18? Okay, indeed I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. 
Now, that's interesting, Len. Uh, he says not only were, were we available, we actually were part of the team that did yes. the building. Yeah. And at my table, there were 150 Jews and rulers. I don't know about you, but 150 people at my table, you'd, you'd want a fair income, I think, to look after them. Yes. Besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now, that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep, also fowl, were prepared for me and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on my people. I see not only a, a social conscience here, I see a compassionate conscience. He recognises that they're struggling and he's saying, I have every right to take this as the governor. I'm not going to do it. Mm. I'm going to actually set an example myself by the way that I look after 150 people at every meal. Yes, I think he was a very wise and a very good governor. Helen, in verse 15, Nehemiah said he acted in a certain way. He said he acted out of reverence for God. How do you understand this? I think there's a word in, in some of the Bible that says, because I feared God. Um, and refused to, to uh, I, I did not act that way. But you've hit the nail on the head. You reverenced God. Yes. It wasn't a, a an unholy fear to you know speak. You know, I'm frightened of him. He's going to zap me if I don't do this. He made a, a a very conscious choice with his attitude. He he chose to serve rather than to be served. And I think there, in a nutshell, is a lesson for us. We can look at the life of Jesus. He humbled himself. And, you know, if we want to be like Jesus, and, and the example that Nehemiah did, he was acting, if you like, in the place of Jesus, you know, by showing that Jesus was in his life and he reverenced God through it. And so he acted differently to the ways of the world. And, and I bring that back to us. How do we act? How do we act? Do we choose to serve or be served mm. you know um, it's it really is our attitude do we choose to be like Christ or not like Christ and mm. Nehemiah made a conscious decision to be like Christ and he he feared or he loved he reverenced God and that's why he did it mm. now in the New Testament the Apostle Paul wrote in 1st Corinthians 10 verse 31 Ken something which is almost it's the same idea, although at little different words. Would you read that first, please? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So here we're, we're looking and we've been told again and reminded again that in all things we should always remember God. Yes. How would, you know, we've had that thing, it used to be very popular, WWJD. What, what would, Jesus would Jesus do? Nehemiah acted that way. Yes, he did. Paul uh, acted that way. He spoke about it. And that is a good example for us as Christians. Can I also add another acronym that I believe Nehemiah, in his attitude, showed out a joy. The joy of the Lord was his strength. In other words, he put Jesus first, others next, and himself last. Okay. Himself last, spelling joy. So right at the beginning of today's program, I mentioned that there are a number of issues. In fact, there are eight issues we're going to highlight um, that comes out of this particular study which are worthy of our notice. Helen, what's the first one? Well, I believe that we should 
be very compassionate in the way that we treat the poor and the disadvantaged. Um, I think too often we tend to judge more than anything, as we stated earlier, and we jump on the bandwagon. And I'm remem reminded of an incident where we used to collect a lot of uh, bread and we would take them round to the disadvantaged and I remember one person who wasn't very happy about this saying why are we doing this and I said excuse me and he said why are we doing this these are all drag addicts and they're this and they drink their alcohol and I said what about the children you know I was actually stunned that that was how people thought it wasn't the children's fault you know, that, that their parents were wasting their money or whatever. And it may be that the people had been out of work. I know one guy, he had to give up work for 12 months because he got a paralysis in both of his hands. You know, it cleared up. But we were able to help them. And I think we need to show that treatment of the poor and disadvantaged, walk in their moccasins. Okay. Mm. Brenton, another one is about living by the letter of the law. What would you like to comment on there? Then I'll make it very brief. <laughs> Living by the letter of the law reveals your actions. Living by the spirit of the law reveals your motives. That's a very nice statement. I like that. One reveals your action. One reveals your state of heart. Lydia, what about the issue of generosity versus selfishness? We have the example of Jesus who was compassion, compassionate and loving and generous. So we have the example of Nehemiah here. He was ve very generous from the bottom of his heart in everything and he he showed compassion in uh, in through generosity yeah. for people ken there's another issue revolving around drought would you like to share something on that well uh drought can mean many things and obviously we usually think of drought a lack of water but drought can also mean it affects many things and obviously you can have a famine with that but this can be so much bigger because you can look at the fact that yes there's no water perhaps for the people or animals but also this affects so much in their life because it affects uh, their ability to pay their ability to buy food their ability to do so many things so it may be just looking at one thing but the parameters of it are much much greater yes yes Nick there was a breakdown in that society what would you say about the breakdown in modern society? In the history, you know, there are so many breakdowns in society. But today, I believe that um, we are on the verge of the mm -hmm. same thing which happened in many times in history. And if we are not considering that and uh, really, really focus on how can we do the best to help others and the society in which we live. You wouldn't believe that in uh, Australia, like uh, lucky country as we call it uh, many times, we have a hundred thousand homeless people mm -hmm. in this country. Yeah. You wouldn't believe that. Okay. okay. You know? We're talking about the issues here and probably the principles. Helen, there's also a mention here about the fear of the Lord or respect of the Lord. Uh, this is a, an important issue. What would you like to say with regard to that? Well, number one, I'd like to say, please, um, listeners, have a relationship with the Lord. Um, respect him, but love him. Fear him and follow him. And the fear of the Lord will then prompt us to be Christ-like in, in all that we say and do will bring honour and glory to him. Yeah. 
We've partly mentioned modern society, Brenton, but you might like to add something here. Just very briefly, Len, uh, I think it was in the book Animal Farm by George Orwell, it was stated all men are born equal, some are more equal than others. I think what we learned from this lesson and from Nehemiah's um, practical application, that all men are indeed born equal and all men are entitled to equal respect and they are entitled to equal consideration. What we learn from this lesson is if Jesus were here today, Len, I think he would say, go and do thou likewise. Yeah, Amen. right. Amen. Nick, there's quite a um, well-known adage around the place about survival of the fittest. Mm. <laughs> we got survival of the fittest in our society? I believe uh, pretty much so. Uh, even though uh, we, we want to call ourselves to be more um, civilised and more you know, um, down to earth in terms of uh, equality and so on and so forth. But if we look into um, today's society, we are still a very individualistic society. And that tells us that uh, we are nurturing, if you like, the survival of the fittest. Okay, thank you. Well, listeners, it's my opinion that today's Bible study has been a very practical one and highlights how harmonious living is or is not achieved. Generosity, helpfulness, helpfulness and unselfishness are all necessary qualities to keep the majority of people happy. And I hope you are someone who exhibits those qualities for the sake of others and for the Lord's sake. We're going to close with prayer. Lydia, would you like to do that? Yes. Gracious Father in heaven, we're coming here before you. So thank you so much that you reminded us again from uh, this Bible study to live through the example of Nehemiah, a faithful servant like Jesus that served his people. Father, please help us to live by your divine law that you promised that you will plant in our hearts. Help us not to lose sensitivity towards um, sin, evil, injustice, and uh, help us to react to all this and take a stand. Help us to demonstrate in a practical and personal example uh, applied in uh, our lives through the principles towards all the people around us through uh, generosity, love, care, and compassion as Jesus did. Please, Father, we ask you kindly to plant in our hearts um, your divine holy love to be able to share with all the people around us. Father, thank you so much in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.